Thank you, Mike. Please turn your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 6. We are, we are getting close to being done with the book of Ephesians. It's been exciting to talk through these truths over the last year or so. Next week, we're going to be taking a short break from the book of Ephesians, looking at 2 Timothy as we, we celebrate Reformation weekend and talk about one of the essential truths of, of, our, of our faith, the idea of Scripture alone being that which guides us and shapes us and our sole rule of, of, of conduct. Uh, then we're going to spend two more weeks in the book of Ephesians, and Lord willing, finish it at, at that time. So we're, we're close, and I'm excited again to, to think about all that God has taught us through this, this study. Well, please stand with me, as you will, if you will, as we read Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to read uh, verses 10 through 20, and we looked at 10 and through 13 last week, and we'll be looking at verses 14 through 16 this morning. Paul writes this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand, withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm, and then verse 14 that we're looking at this morning. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that the words may be given me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. May you be encouraged through God's word this morning. You may be seated. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we know that we are unable to withstand the attacks of the enemy. We know that we are unable to, to conquer even the enemy within ourselves and our flesh apart from the strength the strength that you supply, as we've already sung, we know that as we, uh, you've called us, you've enabled us to put your armor on, that Christ is our captain, and, and now we who are weak can, can say that we are strong. And so, Father, in your strength, prepare us, prepare us this morning. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. In warfare... Military strategists have long understood, since ancient times, the importance of being able to hold one's ground. That is, it's, it's not only important to be able to, to charge the hill and take it, 
one must be able to maintain the hill after one has taken it. It's important to not only gain ground, but maintain ground, to stand firm. Roman soldiers at the the height of Roman's uh, military prowess understood the importance of standing their ground. Roman soldiers were highly disciplined and and trained. They knew uh, what ground to take, and then after, after taking that ground, they knew different tactics to employ in order to withstand the onslaughts of their enemy. And these tactics were designed based upon what their enemy would throw at them. And so, for example, if, if the enemies were, were shooting arrows and there was a barrage of arrows coming at these Roman soldiers, they would, uh, they would adopt a defensive stance called the, the tortoise. And in the, the tortoise, the, the soldiers would form a close ranks and they would place their shields above their heads and it would form like a hard shell protecting the army, allowing them to hold their ground. If they were being attacked with the cavalry and the, the cavalry were, were charging these Roman soldiers, the, the Roman soldiers would uh, adopt a defensive stance known as the, the cavalry re- repel. They would place their, their shields, that front line would place their, their shields on the ground, would, would, would hunch underneath, underneath the shields and grab the spear and, and place it in an angle. And, and no horse, no matter how disciplined, thought that was a, a very great idea to, to attack a, a guy with a spear. It allowed the Roman soldiers to stand their ground. Or if things started going really bad in a battle and a group of soldiers were, were separated from the rest of the forces, they would form a defensive stance known as the orb. It was a circular stance in which each of them had their backs to one another and it allowed them as highly disciplined and trained soldiers to have one another's back and to protect themselves until they could be reunited with other forces. It allowed them to stand their ground. Here in Ephesians chapter 6, God is calling his believers to stand their ground. He's talking about, we talked about last week, the the onslaught that the the enemy is going to to, to have against us, and and God's call on his people is to stand their ground. Four times in the, the, the verses that we looked at this morning, God says, stand, 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 stand. This morning we're looking at the weapons with which God has equipped us in order to withstand the onslaught of the enemy. And what we find is that these weapons with which God has equipped us are actually pieces of armor. It's a, a defensive stance that you and I are to take as we stand the ground upon which God has placed us. The desire of the enemy is to knock us down, to, to see our defeat, and God equips us with armory to allow us to withstand the enemy. What we're going to do this morning is is just begin to look at the pieces of armor that God has equipped us with that help us to withstand the attacks of the enemy. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at the, the the first four components of this armor that God gives us, and we're going to ask four questions as we look at each component of the armor. So, Four different parts of armor that we're going to look at this morning. And as we look at each individual component, we're going to ask four questions. We're going to ask, what is this piece of armor? What was its military application? Secondly, we're going to ask the question, what's the the spiritual truth that Paul is trying to convey through the imagery that he presents from this piece of armor? The third question we're going to ask is, is, what's the danger to us if we do not equip ourselves with this armor. 
And then the last question we'll ask is just applicationally, how, how do we put it on? How can we be obedient to the instruction that God gives us through the Apostle Paul? Well, let's look first at this component of the armor that's the belt of truth. The first instruction that we're given here in verse 14 uh, is to put on, the be- fasten the belt of truth. It says in verse 14, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. So first question, what is this belt of truth with which we are to, to fasten about ourselves? Literally, what Paul says is, is having girded your waist with truth. In Scripture, to, to gird means to gather up, and it often carries with it this connotation of being prepared. First Peter chapter 1, verse 13, Peter tells his readers to, to gird their minds for actions, prepare their minds for action. Possibly what Paul has in mind here was this, this apron, that a, a leather apron-like a piece of armor that a, that a soldier would put on first. It would be tied, fastened about the, ra- the waist, and then it would be tied around the thighs and then legs, and it was used to kind of to, to, to pre- prepare the soldier for battle. It would be used to gather up the different components of the robe, and, and he would have greater flexibility and mobility as the Roman soldier would put on this belt of truth, this belt. He would be prepared to engage in warfare. It was the first thing with which he equipped himself. What's the second question then? Okay, there's this belt that you're supposed to put on. What's the spiritual component of it? What's the, the spiritual truth that Paul is trying to convey with his imagery? What is, how does he describe this belt? He says it's a belt of truth. And some people, as they read this, they say, well, what Paul is saying is he's talking about, uh, about intellectual knowledge, doctrinal truth. A person should, should know truths about who God is and therefore be prepared for battle. And others say, no, that's not what Paul's talking about. He's, he's talking about the practical application of truth, of, of being truthful, of, of being honest, of, of being prepared to, to live out your life. He's not talking about uh, head knowledge. He's talking about applicational knowledge. But what you see in the book of Ephesians, and again, we're going to be carrying, as we go through this last section of Ephesians, we're going to be tying to get together different themes throughout the book of Ephesians. But what you see in the book of Ephesians is that when Paul talks about truth, he doesn't draw that distinction between doctrinal knowledge and the application of that knowledge. In his mind, those, those two concepts are, are integrally related. In fact, turn back to, to, to chapter 4 of Ephesians. As you turn back to Ephesians chapter 4, look what Paul says about truth and its application. At the end of, of uh, well, in, in chapter uh, 4, verse 14, He's talking about growing in maturity. He says the purpose of this, verse 14, is it so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. He says, I don't want us to, to every time we hear some new doctrinal truth to, to be swayed by this and, and swayed by that. There's going to be this intellectual knowledge that we should have. He's, he's prayed that earlier for the Ephesians as well, that they would grow in the knowledge, the intellectual understanding of who God is. And then he says, as we do that, verse 15, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. And he talks about the maturity that comes from that. Then he he goes back in verse 7, or continuing in verse 17, he says, don't walk walk like the Gentiles do in the futility of of their minds. Their, Their intellect is darkened, he says in verse 18. 
They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. You see the connection? For Paul, it's not doctrinal knowledge over here, life over here. The two things are intricately related. And so whenever Paul says, gird your, your, uh, you know, put on the belt of truth, having girded yourselves, tied around your waist, truth, what Paul is saying is this, you need to be prepared, you need to be prepared to do the things that God has called you to do by having the truth of God within you. You can't do without knowing. It means a person, as they come to God's word and understand who he is, is protected against the deceit and dishonesty that exists. Third question then, how is a person who fails to put on the belt of truth in danger? What dangers is a person who is not grounded in the truth of God expose themselves to? Well, remember the strategy of the devil from our enemy the last week? We saw that Satan is a deceiver. He's a trickster. And so his desire is to cause us to, to fail to understand rightly how to live. He's a deceiver. We can't be protected from his deceptions if we don't know the truth. See again the connection between knowing the truth and being able to live it out. If you're a student, maybe you've one time prayed that the student's prayer. You've been sitting there at a, your desk and you're prepared to take this test. And I use the word prepared very loosely. You're prepared in the sense that you have a pencil. But as you sit there, you pray, God... Please help me to do well on this test. Uh, I slept during class. I talked when the teacher was talking when I wasn't sleeping. I watched TV instead of studying, but God, now please help me to apply these truths I don't know on this test. That's the student's prayer. Look, there's, you have the, a good teacher, a good student knows, look, the best way to, to apply truth is to know the truth. The best way to apply the truth is to have spent the time understanding the truth, and the same is true in the, the Christian life. A, a person can apply the truths they don't know. So, for example, uh, let's say that I don't read God's Word. And because I don't read God's Word, I don't have a, a truthful, a biblical understanding of the nature of what sin is. I don't understand how sin entered the world. I don't understand that, that sin is best defined in, in, in relationship to the, the holiness of God and, and anything that deviates from the holiness and the character of God can be considered sin. So I don't understand the, the extensive problem that I have with sin. Furthermore, I don't understand the danger that a person who sins is, is in, judgment from a holy God. My perception of the truth is radically altered because I have not been focused on the doctrines that Scripture teaches concerning sin. And because I have not studied God's word and come to a right understanding of, of what sin is, the nature of sin, the danger of sin, the holiness of God in relationship to sin, I am in danger. I'm in danger not only to myself, but I'm a danger to everyone around me spiritually. Let's say that God has, has blessed me with children, and because I haven't gone to his word and understood the nature of sin, my children are in danger because I don't understand the seriousness of sin in their lives as well. I'm not vigilant in protecting them from the lies of the enemy and the danger of sin. You see, that, you see what I'm saying here? Truth 
The truth that Paul is talking about here is a connection between a doctrinal, intellectual understanding of the character of God and applying it out. They are integrally related, and we are in danger from the enemy if we don't understand, if we don't understand the truth. Let me say something that may sound controversial. It shouldn't, but it may. An individual or a church who says, you know what, we're not a church that's real hung up and passionate about doctrine and theological issues. A church or an individual that says that and says, no, instead we're, we're passionate about just living for Jesus. In reality, that's an individual or a church who is passionate about neither. You cannot be an individual. You cannot be a church who's passionate about living for Jesus, living like Jesus, unless you're also an individual or a church who's passionate about the truth, about doctrinal understanding and theological knowledge of who God is and his character. Last question here then, how, how does a person put on this belt of truth? How do we fasten about ourselves the truth? Well, of course, we begin by studying God's word, right? We begin as, imagine a new believer, they, they engage in this, this task of, of understanding and studying God's word, and, and it's often very difficult work, and, and sometimes a person comes into a church and says, look, I, I'm, I'm really struggling sometimes to, to understand even some of the things that are taught. This all seems to be so far above my, I'm just having trouble, I'm drowning in this, and, and my encouragement is, is keep on digging, keep on studying, stay with it. Immerse yourselves in the truths of God's word and, and begin to understand more and more and more. One of the most exciting things in, in the life of a believer and, and, and watching God, work at life, God at work in the life of a believer is to see the, the lights begin to go on and, and then to, to, to begin to understand how to live their life. And, and oftentimes it's neat to watch just how many questions a new believer has about, about everything or, or a believer that's, that's not grown in their faith. There's questions about everything. And what do you see happen as a person studies God's word? You see what happens is this. They begin to understand more and more about how to live life. And the knowledge they have as they're studying God's word uh, affects everything. About, it affects how they parent. It affects how they spend their finances. It, it affects how they go about the task of doing their job. The truth of God's word as they study it begins to transform them, form them, and it's awesome to watch. We also, as we think about how to put on the belt of truth, think about the, having a thirst truth. When I was a youth pastor, I told our students that we were going to go through uh, just the very basic truths of Christianity. And what was shocking to me is, is some of the students that I thought would have been our more mature students felt like such a study was beneath them. I said, you know what, I already understand all those truths. I don't need to think about them again. Look, as we think about putting on the belt of truth, not only are we studying God's word, but there is a, a passion in our hearts for that truth. A great love for the, the great doctrines of our faith. We thirst for it. We love to talk about them and, and think about them. And then lastly, as we think about how to put on the belt of truth, we refuse to put on falsehood. We refuse to, to affix about ourselves falsehood, dishonesty, deceit, deception. Again, as I think about my youth ministry, one of the most exciting moments in my youth ministry was whenever we went to a, a camp. 
and our youth was, was uh, ministering at this camp. It was kind of a mission trip for us. And, and one night we, we visited uh, another, another group that was there at this camp. And we had a small group, maybe five or six kids that were doing this mission project. And they sat at the back. And, and then as, as they left, um, two or three of the students came up to me just, just deeply, deeply troubled. I said, Daniel, I, I don't understand. How, how could someone get up there and teach with, without talking about the Bible? And, I, you know, I'm cynical enough to where it, it didn't really phase me. Uh, but I said, that, that's great. You have a thirst for God's word, and, and you're refusing to fix about yourself falsehood. Fasten the belt of truth. And the second thing that Paul instructs us here is, is this. Put on the breastplate of righteousness, he says, having fastened on the belt of truth. And the last part of verse 14 is having put on the breastplate of righteousness. What was this breastplate that Paul is talking about? Well, it was this this armor that that covered the vital organs. It could be made of of metal or it could be like a a chain metal that that covered that important area of the body. That's what it was. What's the spiritual component of this, this imagery? What, what spiritual truth is he trying to convey through this imagery of a, of a breastplate? Well, he says, put on the, the breastplate of righteousness. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, the word righteousness can, can mean several different things. It can mean, first of all, it can mean the, the declaration that we are righteous before God. So, for example, in Romans chapter 3, Paul talks about this kind of righteousness. He's, he's, he's talking about, before you get to Romans chapter 3, he's talking about how important it is to have the righteousness of God. And he talks about how no one can stand before God. And the reason that no one can stand before God is because no one has the righteousness that God requires. We all have, have sinned, Romans 3 tells us. He says this in Romans 3, he says, but, or for, by the works of the law, no human being will be justified, declared righteous in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of, su- of, of sin, verse 21, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and prophets bear witness to the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. So there's one type of righteousness that comes to us simply by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. Whenever you realize that you're a sinner, that you deserve God's judgment and wrath because of your sin, And when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you receive righteousness from God. God looks at you, justifies you. He declares you righteous. But I don't think that's exactly what Paul is talking about here when he talks about this breastplate of righteousness. The type of righteousness that Paul is talking about here is the righteousness that comes from right living, This second type of righteousness is based upon the first type of righteousness. I've said this over and over again, but remember, Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 can't be separated from what? Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 talk about how we obtain the righteousness of God through faith, how we're called into this community of faith. But then Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 say, now live it out. In fact, turn back to Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, 
I almost started reading Romans chapter 4. This doesn't make any sense. Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says this as, he, as he's talking about this, this righteousness that, that we are to obtain. He says, he says in verse 24, we, we're to put on the, the new self created after the likeness of God and, and true righteousness and, and holiness. And so we've entered into a relationship with God, and now, as Paul begins Ephesians chapter 4 and talks about our ethical conduct in chapters 4, 5, and 6, he says, put on this righteousness of God. Put on this new man. Remember, we spent quite a few weeks, and we talked about putting off the, the old behavior and putting on the new behavior. We put off the, the behavior of the old man, and now we put on the, the new be, righteous behavior of the new man. You cannot put on this new righteous behavior apart from, put it, from taking off our old behavior, putting off the old man. Now, the call of God in the life of the believer is to live a righteous life. The righteous, this breastplate of righteousness that Paul is talking about here is a, a righteousness of conduct, ethical living. But it's not man-made ethics. It's the righteousness of God that's been, that is now able to be lived out in the life of the believer because of the righteousness that God has already provided them. So, what is this? It's, it's, what is he talking about here? He's talking about this breastplate. What's the spiritual truth that he's trying to convey with this imagery? It's that we are to live a righteous life. Now, here's the third question. How is a person who does not put on the breastplate of righteousness in danger? If a person re refuses to put on this breastplate of righteousness, how can they find themselves in danger? Think about the nature of a, the breastplate again. This breastplate was designed to protect the vital organs. And imagine a person decides to, to enter in and engage in combat without this breastplate of righteousness. They're exposing their vital organs to the enemy. When you and I choose to live our life in a way that's contrary to the righteousness the ethical conduct that God has called us to, we expose ourselves to the attacks of the enemy. So for example, remember Ephesians 4, we, we spent several weeks talking about what to put off and what to put on. He said put off, put off unrighteous anger and put on a holy anger. A person that, that exercises anger in the flesh is a, a person that's exposing themselves to danger. They're flying off the handle. They're, they're upset at things. They're exposing themselves. They're not putting on righteousness, the conduct of the new man. They're putting themselves and other people in danger. A person who says, you know what, I'm not going to live the moral life that God calls me to live. I'm going to expose myself to immorality. The person who does that takes off the breastplate of righteousness and exposes themselves to the attacks of the enemy. God in his love has provided us with the the instructions regarding the conduct that we are to have, the, the life we are to live, all through Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, he's talked about how to live. And as you and I refuse to live in the way that God has called us to live, we open ourselves up to the attacks of the enemy. How is a person who takes off the breastplate of righteousness in danger, as a person refuses to live a righteous life, as they refuse to exist in the protection that God has called them to live in, they expose themselves to danger. Fourth question then, fourth question then, 
how do you put on the breastplate of righteousness? Well, first of all, I believe that we need to be convicted regarding our lack of righteousness in many areas. It was very interesting as we went through Ephesians 4 and 5 and, and talked about the behavior of the old man and the behavior of the new man. That, that was a, a time, at least for me personally, where I was, I was constantly convicted of my failures to, to live the righteous life that God has called me to live. What happens there? The, the genuine believer is convicted by their lack of righteousness and, and is, asks God for his assistance, his empowering work in their life. So the first step, I think, is just to be convicted by our lack of righteousness. Second of all, I think, as we, how do we put on this, this breastplate of righteousness? We, we examine the armor as we put it on. Uh, we, act, we look and we, and we say, you know what, uh, what, where are the chinks in this breastplate? Where am I failing to live a, a righteous life? And, and our temptation sometimes is to, to hold up our blush, breastplate and then look over at our friends and say, you know what, there's a little, yeah, there's some work that I could do in this breastplate, but man, it's a lot better than that clown's. You know, that, guy, that guy's really going to get it from the enemy. Hopefully I'm standing next to him when we're attacked. Examine the armor. Examine your armor under the light of God's word. Examine your conduct, your righteousness, in light of the standard of righteousness of a holy God. And as you see the, the weak places in your armor, ask God to, to strengthen those. As you look, and, and again, we, we think through what, what Paul told us in Ephesians chapter 4. As you think about truthfulness and ask God, Lord, strengthen me here. Think about anger. Think about, about doing honest work, corrupting talk, all sorts of immorality. We, we, we realize that God needs to strengthen that breastplate of righteousness. Allow others to examine that breastplate as well. Allow others to, to poke and, and to prod. As we see the weaknesses, we repair it by confessing those weak areas and asking God to strengthen us in righteousness. Let me read you a quote from John MacArthur as he talks about this section of Scripture. He says this, he says, Many, if not most, of the emotional and relational problems Christians experience experience are caused by lack of personal holiness. Do you think that's true? Let me read it again. Most of the emotional and relational problems that Christians experience are caused by lack of personal holiness. We've allowed there to be weaknesses in our armor. As we have problems emotionally, as we have problems relationally, the cause is a lack of personal holiness. He goes on. Many of our disappointments and discouragements do not come from circumstances or from other people, but from our own unconfessed and uncleansed sin. And when circumstances and other people do manage to rob us of happiness, it's because we are unprotected by the armor of a holy life. In either case, the cause of our unhappiness is our own sin. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. The next instruction that Paul gives us occurs in verse 15. He says, and his shoes, and his shoes for your feet, having put on the, the readiness given by the gospel of peace. 
First of all, first question, what's this piece of armor that he's referring to? Well, he's talking about these, these shoes. And sometimes when we read the word shoe and we see it in context of talking about the gospel, we think like Nike running shoes. Paul is saying to, to run as fast as you can with a gospel message. Listen carefully. That's not what he's saying. The types of shoes that he's talking about here were military-style shoes. They, they had little spikes on the bottom of the, the shoe. And, and these shoes were designed to be able to, to cross any terrain, but also when it came time to stand, to dig in deep to the ground and stand firm. And what Paul is saying is, put on these military shoes. Second question then is what's the, the spiritual imagery that, that Paul is trying, or the spiritual truth that Paul is trying to convey with this imagery? Let me first tell you what it's not. Paul is not saying that we need to protect ourselves by sharing the gospel. Oftentimes, again, when we see shoe in connection to gospel, we're thinking, okay, run around and, and tell the gospel. And we should, in just a few, few verses, Paul's going to say, pray for him to have boldness as he shares the gospel. But listen carefully, that's not what Paul is saying in this verse. What Paul is saying is that you and I should have a sense of, of firmness of mind, of being mentally prepared as we think about the truth of the good news of Jesus Christ. The truth of the good news of Jesus Christ, which is the, the good news of peace. Again, let's think about the context as we look at the rest of the book of Ephesians. Turn over to Ephesians chapter, turn back to Ephesians chapter 1. We see that the, the gospel of our salvation is a, is a is a gospel message, a good news message that should enable us to stand firm and give us confidence as we engage our enemy. Chapter 1, verse 13, Paul says, In him you also, when you heard the word of the truth, the good news, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the, the promised Holy Spirit. A person who's received the, the gospel message is true and placed their faith in Jesus Christ has the assurance that comes from this inheritance in the Holy Spirit this guarantee of our inheritance, who is the Holy Spirit. Think of chapter 2 as well. In chapter 2, he's talked about how we used to be separated from God. We were dead in our trespasses and sin, he says in verse 1. And then he talks about how at, at that time, verse 11, at one time, we Gentiles in the flesh, verse 12, remember, we were at that time separated from Christ. We were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. We were relationally separated from one another, and more importantly, we were relationally separated from God himself. And then what happened? It says, verse 13, But now in Christ, Jesus, you who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. He's broken down, broken us, uh, he is, who, has broke, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man and might reconcile us both to God. What is the gospel of peace? The good news of the gospel of peace is that through faith in Jesus Christ alone, those of us who used to be separated from one another are now brought together. And... This is very important. It's neat to see how Paul brings all these truths together at the end of the epistle here. And the good news is that we have peace with God. And so uh, 
Paul says here, put on the shoes of readiness. He doesn't say put on the shoes of the gospel. He says put on the shoes of readiness. Think about be mentally prepared, be, be ready with these shoes to stand firm as you think about the good news that you have peace with one another and you have peace with God. Let me say that again. Paul says, dig in deep, stand firm as you think about how the gospel has brought you peace with one another and reconciled you to God. So the third question is, how is a person who doesn't put on these shoes of readiness, these shoes of being prepared as they think about the gospel, how is that person in danger? Well, firstly, a person who hasn't placed their, their faith in Jesus Christ is in, is in no position to stand against the onslaught of the enemy. A person who's not placed their faith in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation, who's not accepted the gospel message, is in grave danger. We see what happens to that person as we look at Ephesians chapter 2 and Ephesians chapter 4. They're still in the darkness. No hope of prevailing in a spiritual battle with an enemy. But also, the person who does not constantly proclaim the gospel to themselves is in danger. As a person, as a person is engaged in spiritual war- warfare, Paul says, put on these sh- shoes of readiness Think carefully about how you've been reconciled with God. A faulty understanding of the gospel will enable the enemy to deceive you and cause you you to be defeated. Think carefully about your relationship with God. Because you know what the enemy is going to try to cause you to do. He's going to try to cause you to doubt your relationship with God. And so a person who's truly placed their faith in Jesus Christ, perhaps the enemy is going to say this. God doesn't truly love you. Or think about the, the nature of your sin, concentrating and think carefully about what a great sinner you are. As a person concentrates on their, their great sin without also contemplating the greatness of God and the greatness of his reconciliation with us, they can become overwhelmed, can become discouraged, can become defeated. So the proclamation of the gospel message in the life of the believer causes them to not only think about their sin, but to think about the greatness of the God who reconciled them to relationship with himself. And so a person who's thinking about the closeness of the relationship with God through the gospel can dig their their feet in very deeply. A person who's also not proclaimed the gospel to themselves fails to understand rightly their relationship with other people. And so the enemy can can find inroads into relational problems and a person who's not proclaimed the gospel to themselves can despair as they think about the differences that exist among the body of Christ and believe the differences are insurmountable and cause division. The fourth question then, how does a person put on the shoes of the gospel of peace, well, well for, or this, put on the shoes of readiness, which is the gospel of peace, which was provided by the gospel of peace. Well, firstly, a person puts on these shoes by believing the gospel, but also a person puts on these shoes by, by proclaiming the gospel to themselves and applying the gospel, applying the, the good news of God's grace in our relationships with other people. 
Let's look at this last component of the armor. Verse 16. Paul says this. In addition, in addition to all these things, in all circumstances, verse 16, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Before we continue, just notice this. He's saying in addition to all or or in all circumstances, what he's saying is this. Look, you just don't take different components of the armor piecemeal. The the Roman soldier wouldn't say, you know what, uh, today I'm really going to work on my shield work, so I'm not going to take my helmet and sword. I'm just going to be kind of like a shield guy today. Look, we need all the components of the armor that God provides us in order to withstand the attacks of the enemy. Take up, in addition to all these things, in all circumstances, take up the, the shield of faith. First question, then, what was the shield? Well, it's the first thing that's, that's not being affixed. It's the first thing that's being taken up. And, and the word that he uses here implies a, a very large shield. It wasn't a smaller shield. It was a, a shield that was about two and a half feet wide, uh, four feet high, and then about a hand's, hand's width and in, in, in breadth. It's a big shield. It was covered with, with calf skin. And it was enabled to, to uh, take on the arrows and, and flaming darts of, of the enemy. After, in fact, it's covered with, ca- with canvas and, and, and then calfskin. The second question, then, is, is what is the, the spiritual truth that Paul is trying to convey with this, this imagery? What does it mean to take up the shield of faith? And when he talks about, about faith, what type of faith is he talking about here? I, I don't believe that he's talking about just the faith that we have in, in Jesus Christ at the moment of our salvation. He's not talking about just the, the faith that justifies us. He's talking about a faith that is an ongoing faith a faith that continues to trust in the promises of God in whatever circumstances we find ourselves in. As the enemy shoots a a barrage of arrows or flaming darts or flaming spears at us, it's the faith that continues to believe in the promises of God. It's the faith of Job, which we talked about last week. You know, as the the enemy attacks Job, there's all sorts of, of flaming arrows coming at him. He loses his servants. He loses his, his livestock. He, he loses his children. He loses his health. His wife tells him, curse God and die. And as all these flaming darts come at Job, what is his response? In the midst of all those attacks, Paul, uh, Job says, I trust God. It is a shield of faith that protects him from the onslaught of the enemy. The question for us is is this, what are going to be the the fiery darts the enemy shoots at you this week? What what is the enemy going to attack you with? What are going to be his flaming darts? And in what circumstances are you going to have to take up the shield of faith? Remember the, the worst uh, night of our lives, I, I've mentioned it before, was the night where Hannah became very sick and she began to, to choke and, and suffocate and she was a two-week-old baby and the paramedics arrived, they, uh, I, was, I, I just hoped that they'd be immediately be able to, to, to correct the situation. And they were not able to do so. And whenever a, a paramedic... Uh, has a very concerned look on their face. It just causes your heart to, to sink. And they very quickly brought, took her to the ambulance and rushed her to the hospital. And as we 
we followed in the ambulance, and later as we, we sat in the, the waiting room, and, and uh, the, the, the people began to approach us and said, you know, this, this is not a, a good situation. Those darts came. And I can vividly remember having to make the decision, am I going to trust God in this circumstance? This is a fiery arrow. This is not a situation I'm very fond of. And if things go poorly, am I going to maintain my faith in God? Am I going to continue to trust him? What are the fiery darts that the enemy is going to fire at you this week? Maybe it's just going to be a a single spear right at you. Circumstances that, 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 that tries your faith, where you have to make the decision, am I going to continue to trust that what God says to do is right, or am I going to respond in the wrong way? Or maybe, maybe the enemy is just going to fire just a barrage of small situations at you. It's, it's always very humorous to me how my own personal life reflects the passages that I'm going to be teaching on. And just this past week, you know, it's not, it's not that I had a, a more difficult week than any of you, I'm sure, but just I could just sense all these just things kind of adding up. It felt like it's this barrage of, things that I had to decide, how am I going to respond to this? Am I going to take up the shield of faith and say, look, this isn't how I desire to respond to the situation, but, but God, I, I trust you. My faith is, is going to continue in, to be in you in this circumstance. I'm going to be confident that what you said to do is right, even though I think maybe this would be a better way to respond to this. When do you take up the shield of faith? You don't go out to the battlefield and say, oh, you know what? I could really use a shield right now. You take the shield with you to the battlefield. Let me close by reading a a quote from Richard Wormbrand. Richard Wormbrand endured 14 years of, of torture and was imprisoned in Romania. 1948 and 64, the hands of the communists. And listen to what he said about torture and and preparation for suffering. He says this, what shall we do about these tortures? Will we be able to bear them? If I do not bear these tortures, then I put in prison another 50 or 60 men whom I know, because that is what the communists wish from me, to betray those around me. And here comes the great need for the role of preparation for suffering, which must start Now, it is too difficult to prepare yourself for it when the communists have put you in prison. We have to make the preparation now before we are imprisoned. In prison, you lose everything. You are undressed and given a prisoner's suit. No more nice furniture, nice carpets, or nice curtains. You do not have a wife anymore, and you do not have your children. You do not have your liberty, and you never see a flower. Nothing of what makes life pleasant, remains. Nobody resists who has not renounced the pleasures of life beforehand. And Wormbrand is exactly right. It is inevitable that the person who desires to live godly in Christ Jesus, it's inevitable that person will face 
persecution. It is inevitable that suffering will take place in your life. The question, the question is this. How, how am I going to be prepared for that suffering? The last two questions, of course, were, were how is a person who does not take up the shield of faith in, in danger, they're in danger because as, these, as the circumstances of life come, come flailing at them and, and begin to overwhelm them, they're not prepared, they're not prepared to withstand them. They believe the deceptive lies of the evil one that another way is the right way to respond instead of the way that God's word says to respond. Then how do we take up the shield of faith? We decide now to take it up. We don't wait till the battlefield when troubles and lies are swarming all around us. We pray now for God's protection, and we commit to live in obedience to him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this armor that you have equipped us with. Help us to prepare now as we, as we think through the circumstances you may call us to in the future. Thank you for your faithfulness, and allow us to stand firm. And we pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.